Uh, I want to go to Ephesians 2. Last, uh, two weeks ago, I've been in Ephesians 1. Last week, um, Sharon and I attended a, another church as I had helped my folks move the day before, and, and uh, there's no place like home for us. <laughs> and I'm not really sure. I think it, a lot of it has to do just because of relationships. Um, I think there are some things I felt like we did better. There are some things they did better. It really was immaterial to me. Both of us said, it's not home. <laughs> so we're quite happy to be back here. Um, Ephesians 2, um, just to set it up, um, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is talking grand themes, and he, and he continues in that. Uh, there'll be a turning point in chapter 4 where he gets very practical with life and, and lays out specifics of Christian behavior and, and such. But he's still on the, the big picture items in this chapter. And in the first chapter, uh, he's, he's put out some ideas that are, are big themes and yet are wondrous to us. Uh, he talks about us being chosen by God. You know, when God picked the team, so to speak, he chose you. You know, and that's a wonderful feeling to be embraced and said, he wants us. Uh, he takes another picture. He takes adoption and says, you know, you were in a dysfunctional setting. He's wanting to place you into a health, and he moves you into this. Um, he talks about being purchased as another. Uh, in that day, you know, there was a lot of purchasing of people, and yet, you know, how, you had no control over it, but in a sense, he chose to bring you to himself in that picture of purchasing. Uh, forgiven. Again, all of us are aware of our sins, and just to say, you're one of the forgiven ones. Um, he talks about us being guaranteed of what is to come by the Holy Spirit that lives in us now. And the sense of the presence of God that we have today, in a sense, is just a, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This knowledge of something more, this awareness of the unseen, it, it's a hint of what will be fully seen in later days. Uh, he talks about our hope that we have in, in the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. That if he could raise Christ from the dead, he can also raise our lives as well. And he talked about Christ being supreme and then and supreme over all authorities, all beings, and then finally saying Christ is the head of the body of the church. And so he puts a, a stamp on the corporate idea that isn't so, such a grand thinking in our, in our day. I mean, we, we're very individualistic, but in some ways Paul has a hold of this idea that there are things taking place in a group setting that you won't get anywhere else. There are things happening through others speaking to your life that you won't find on your own. And it's because God has orchestrated things that way and he's working through the body. And of course, we all want our heads attached, right? We can lose various pieces, parts, but it's pretty critical to have this. And, and, and of course, he, he gives the supreme importance to Christ, but he says, you know, this this body concept that we have of every part having a function is, is very valuable for our lives. 
So with that said, we're going to go into chapter 2. And again, I'm going to use the contemporary English version, which is more of a paraphrase. What that means is that it wrestles through some of the terminology and phrasing, puts it in a vernacular, a phrasing that's more what we're used to, so that we catch the concepts. Now, it isn't, I don't really recommend memorizing paraphrases because they don't stick as accurately to things. But there are times when you need that to just kind of explain what's going on. As we read this, you'll see it's very plain as to what's being laid out for us. In the past, it says, you were dead because you sinned. And you fought against God. We'd like to think it wasn't that severe. We'd like to think that, well... (laughs) Maybe he was a little annoyed, and maybe we we didn't always respond. Paul's making a very strong statement. He says, you're dead in your sins. You were enemies of God. You followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. He says, your life was taking a different direction. You had a different master. Says of the devil, he rules the world. His spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. So conversely, when you come to God and embrace his spirit in your life, the control that the devil had over you does not exist in that level, in that measure anymore. You have the right to break off those things. But that's, that was the state, so to speak, of our lives. Um, the... The other translations, some that are working more with the, the exact wording, talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. And trespasses, again, it's like define the word that defines the word. Um, trespasses in that setting is like kind of the filth that you pick up on a, a, a windy day when, or say if you're working in the garden and you, know, you come in and there's just stuff that you've accumulated all, all over you and it's time to clean up. You weren't aware of it happening, it just it was part of the process. Trespasses are those things that we do in violation to God's order that uh, are essentially, we're, we don't even necessarily have to be aware that we're walking in that. But it's like we're accumulating filth through the day and, and through our lives. He says, that, that was destroying you. It was killing you. The sins part of it is is more this conscious, willful choosing or habitual choice to do wrong. It says, I know what's right. I know what God wants. That's what I'm doing. Just the opposite. And and so, you know, they'll, they'll pull both these words together and say, this was bringing, this had brought death to your life. Remember the Garden of Eden, one sin was enough to separate. And so this is the really bad news before the good news. All of us dead in our sin. All of us having accumulated, unconsciously even, just the filth of life, but also having habitually and purposely chosen paths that were profane double died. (laughs) Once 
we were ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. So the things that were in contrast to what God wanted were things that in ourselves we were going, this is what I want. Last year when I was trying to lose weight, I felt like God had me tie on to this phrase, eat to live, not live to eat. And uh, it was embarrassing at one point to realize how much I love to eat and how much I've overconsumed over time just because um, I wanted to. But the amount that I actually needed was significantly less than what I'd been consuming. And to come to terms with that, I'm realizing my body was craving one thing. What was really even healthy for me was completely different. I was giving in to what I was craving more than what was healthy. Well, that's just an example. Each of us has numerous things and different things that we take on, and and there's a craving of the mind or a craving of our bodies. It just, this is what I want. And whether it's healthy or not, whether it, it brings life or not, we're just, this is what I'm about. And he says, that's what we were caught up in. We were ruled by those things. And it says, we made God angry. And we were going to be punished like everyone else. God who made things perfect isn't all that delighted with us just walking down profane paths. Because he knows the destruction of it. He knows the chaos that we incorporate not only into our lives, but into others as we do such things. I mean, the easiest way to start seeing our selfishnesses and uh, the, the effect of it is, is in our closest relationships. So when you start looking like in marriage and you're going... My selfishness is having a significant impact on this person. The things that I'm doing just because I want to do them, that aren't healthy for us and aren't good for us, but I just, I'm going to do this because I want to. We can see the pain on that person. We can see the effect of a loss of trust. We can see the hurt that starts to build up. And the walls that begin to come between us because of such things. But somehow there's in us that still, I want my way. And you can span that out to your kids and your friends and whatever sphere you want. But the selfishness of life has a definite destructive effect on others. And and what the scripture is telling us, God isn't pleased by that kind of thing. And so his anger, he says, I'm, I'm going to punish that. So that's the bad news. But here's, here's the part that even Charlie was touching on this morning. God was merciful. We were dead because of our sins, but God loved us so much that he made us alive in Christ. And God's wonderful kindness is what saves you. So he says... <laughs> In spite of what we were bound in and caught up in, God chose to to love us and reach out and touch our lives. 
God raised us from death to life with Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, the, the way for this to be accomplished is through Christ. You don't just pick yourself up or you don't just say, I'm bypassing Christ or I'm just, hey God, let's chat. But it's through Christ and his payment for our sin and his mediary role that we are allowed this opportunity of peace again. He's given us a place beside Christ in heaven. So in other words, it's not just a, okay, I'll, I'll forget this. But it's rather, I designed you for better. I designed you for eternity with me. I created you for fellowship for all of eternity. And so when Christ pulls us out of death into life with him, it's with a purpose so that we would be united with him forever in fellowship, in wholeness, in wonderful communion. And so it's not just a, for this moment and in this temporal setting, but it has eternal impact. I'm going to de- take off for just a moment. So many of our prayers are temporal, and so many of the things that we crave are temporal fixes in the Lord. And what we have to, in a sense, sort out is what, what takes on the truly um, eternal perspective. I find myself even in, in prayers for healing, often I'm focused on just the temporal. Now, wonderfully, God gets involved in a temporal and does heal temporal maladies. But it is not, it is not the big picture, and it's not even the, the, the big goal. The big goal is life with him forever and ever with a whole new set of boundaries and rules, so to speak, that are way beyond anything we have. The beauty is, is that God affects the temporal setting and doesn't just dismiss it, but allows us to, to see health in this life out of what he establishes, both at relationally and physically, every dimension that you can think of. But temporal, nevertheless, what is to be is even larger and more wondrous. God did this so that in the future world he could show how truly good and kind he is to us because of what Jesus Christ has done. You were saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you, not anything you've done on your own. It isn't something you've earned, so there's nothing you can brag about. So he just lays it out and says, it's not about you and what you are accomplishing, but it's the wonder of who God is and what he's done through Christ. But as you embrace that in faith, he says, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. This is not a tear, it's just a runny nose.
God help me. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. <laughs> Should not have gone there. Um, years ago, uh, you had the dream, right? Charlie had a dream that God's Spirit was being poured out in this place. And uh, I started to cry, caught it, stopped, and started to cry again. And it was a significant dream, and we, we cherish that. You know, we hang on to it. And, and uh, so f- for weeks, uh, he and Ed were calling me Pastor Puddles. And they even made up T-shirts. But then both of them had that experience, and they left it alone. And so <laughs> we've always had a good chuckle over that through the years. But we still hold that dream as uh, something that we look to see at some point. And, uh, you know, I, I always grew up, I guess, with a generation that real men don't cry, and then you find out, yes, they can. But, you know, it's all that those weird dynamics that I'm going to go back to the scripture where I feel safe. Uh, There's nothing for us to brag about in ourselves, but he says, God planned for us to do good things and to live as he has always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ to make us what we are. That is a beautiful verse. You know, he says, You know, the coming of Christ wasn't just to clean things up, but it was like to set you on your feet again so that you can walk where you need to go and accomplish the things that he desires for you to accomplish. And to walk in the presence of God with understanding so that you can even know what what needs to be done. So the trespasses are beginning to be obvious to us. And the sins are broken off of us. We say, I don't want that habit anymore. I know there's a better way in God. I choose a different path. And as we walk in that, there's a a wellness of life that comes out of that that's wondrous. We're walking in what he's designed us for. Now, there's a shift in this passage. And so, you know, he's, he's covered why Christ needed to come, the blessing of what God has done, and what we have been brought out of. But he says there's another dynamic going on as well, and that's between people, where he says our natural enemies are no longer enemies to us. The ones that we looked at and said, Uh, there's a barrier here that we'll never get across and there's no sense even bothering trying to talk to those folks. Or, you know, please don't let them move in the neighborhood. Or just, you know, two different people groups, better left alone. But he's saying, in Christ, there's a blending that didn't used to be. Don't forget You are Gentiles. In fact, he used to be called uncircumcised by those who take pride in being circumcised. He's talking about the Jew and Gentile differences, but it has application in this day as well. He says, 
you were you didn't know Christ. You were foreigners to the people of Israel. You had no part in the promises that God had made to them. You're living in this world without hope and without God, and you were far from God. Remember, God had called the people of Israel and said, I'm making you a holy nation. I am calling you the people of God. And so they had this identity about them, but they also looked at everyone around them and said, you're not the people of God. You don't know God. You don't have this thing like we do. Now, it had gone adrift for them, and they had stepped away from God. But what had happened is you have two people that are separated from God, but now they're being brought together and brought to God through Christ. Christ offered his life's blood as a sacrifice and brought you near to God. Christ made peace between Jew and Gentiles. He united us by breaking down the wall of hatred that separated us. The scripture, it uses phrases in our day that aren't as polite as what we're used to talking, right? And he calls hatred what it is. He says, we didn't like each other at all. Enemies. Christ gave his own body to destroy the law of Moses with its rules and commands. He even brought Jews and Gentiles together as though they were only one person. He united us in peace. And on the cross, Christ did away with our hatred for each other. He also made peace between us and God by uniting Jews and Gentiles into one body. I want to uh, spend just a moment on this, destroying the, the law of Moses with all its rules. Um, that can be overstated in Christian circles. And, and so I just want to come back and visit that for a moment. Jesus, when he was on earth, and the Sermon on the Mount in particular takes the, most of the Ten Commandments and says, yeah, you have this as kind of a, a bottom line behavior, don't murder. But he says the real bar is when you start calling a person a fool and you're living in that kind of anger and separating each other, when you're taking these shots that hurt, he says that's sin as well. So it's not just this, you know, murder, the final separation of, of two people. But he's saying, even to call a person a fool in this angry response, he says, that has its effect, and it, it's sinful as well. So he, he actually was elevating the bar on, on the, the moral code, so to speak, or the, uh, the, the, the law of life. You know, that, that doesn't get violated by God. And, and so that was something he's saying, you know, those are laws that Paul would say are ongoing. I mean, later in this book, he's going to say, to the one that's stealing, stop it. It's intriguing to me that he has to tell a person that, but obviously there were those who didn't know any better or had chosen not to see any better, and he's just going, quit it. And so he, he is addressing law in that fashion. But the other side of this is, there was a lot of that code in the Old Testament that had to do with priestly order. Well, Jesus is our high priest. He fulfilled it in a way that the Old Testament only mirrored and, and looked at, and in a sense set a picture of. The sacrificial system was fulfilled through Christ. So again, 
what was participated in the Old Testament in, in sacrifices and tributes to God was fulfilled through the person of Christ. So again, it was elevated to a level that the old wasn't, didn't have the significance that it once had. When you talk about the Sabbaths and the feasts, again, there's a fulfillment in Christ that was pointing to his day. You know, when we talk about the Passover and him being our Passover lamb, all of that was pointing and declaring that there is a, there is a fulfillment here that was yet to be seen, and, and it's fulfilled through Christ. So when Paul's talking about abolishing the, the Old Testament law, he's saying he so superseded what had been going on before that it became irrelevant. It became as if it was as distant as what the Gentiles were living who didn't even have that code. The two were brought together into something brand new and wondrous in Christ. And so he says that it has that much more significance. Christ came and preached peace to you Gentiles who were far from God, peace to us Jews who were near to God, and because of Christ all of us can come to the Father by one Spirit. So he says there's a uniting of people groups even in this because what's our salvation? What's the source of our salvation? There's only one. It's Christ. How do we get to God the Father? How do we have peace with God? How do we participate in the eternal life? It's through Christ. We all are on a level playing field in that regard. If we embrace the claims of Christ, we have opportunity to participate. We take that faith step. And we start walking in the righteousness that he pours out to us. He says, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens with everyone else who belongs to the family of God. So for, for us, you know, like Lindsay saying, I didn't know Christ when I came up here. But now, you know, foreigner, to citizen of the kingdom of God. That's what's for each of us who embraces this in Christ. One final thought now in this chapter. Again, he, he continues to build on corporate themes. He, taught, you know, he addresses his family of God or just drops that little phrase. And he goes on, you are like a building with the apostles and prophets. In other words, the teaching of the apostles that was guiding the New Testament church and the prophets being the Old Testament writings. He says, you're like a building with those things as the foundation, with Christ as the most important stone or the cornerstone. He's the one that it's all built off of. Christ is the one who holds the building together and makes it grow into a holy temple for the Lord. You're part of the building. Christ is built as a place for God's own spirit to live. It says, through Christ, all our lives link together. There's an opportunity for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in a way that we didn't dream possible. That's why at times when we come together, there are experiences that you have in a church setting that you don't gain in other places. Isn't it true that there are times in worship where suddenly there's just this I have a sense of peace or a joy right now that I don't normally have. It's just like everything's right. It's like there's this knowledge of it really is working. 
this, this, these things are, are, are put together and you're kind of going, I don't normally feel that when I'm at work or I'm at home. I, what, what's going on? There's something by the Holy Spirit that's happening in us corporately that, that's wondrous. Or there's times when you might be worshiping and suddenly your, your thoughts are drawn to an arena that you haven't considered for a long, long time, but suddenly you're saying, there's truth here. I'm getting insights that I've not had. I, I, I'm catching hold of things that, that I need to apply to my life because this is life to me. Why does that happen? Except that God has said some things are going to be found here that you aren't going to find other places because I truly want this to be a family of God. And what we have here is a microcosm of what's going to be in eternity. And so there are moments when we get glimpses of something wondrous that's beyond ourselves. I've, we've talked about this a number of times, but one of the things that I, I believe firmly in regard to sin is that if I'm having trouble breaking off a sinful pattern on my own, it may be because God is calling me to bring others into the mix where my confession, as James declares, helps bring my healing. And so there are times when I might be wrestling with something and I've prayed and I've wept and I've done everything I can on my own and it's not fixing. And it's time for me to humble myself and go to another and say, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but this is where my life is at, and this is what's going on, and I need you to pray for me. And it's amazing how often we're set free through such things. It's that God incorporating a need in us for others and saying, yeah, I could fix you on your own, but I don't choose to. I want you to know how valuable these others are to you. And he opens the door to a wondrous healing and, and setting free that wasn't available just by ourselves. And there's numerous things like that. We, you know, if you start looking for it, you'll start spotting and saying, you know what, that person was talking to me and I don't even think they knew how significant this conversation was. Because they kept saying things that were triggering life in me. They kept speaking these words that they shouldn't have known anything about me, but they somehow, this is getting right to the heart, and it's touching me in a way that I didn't dream possible. Why is that? Because the presence of God is there doing something amazing. And so Paul, you know, he's, he's walking through these wondrous big themes, and uh, we're going to keep exploring that in the next bit, but uh, what a privilege that we have in God. Dead in trespasses and sins, enemies of God and his ways, but through Christ set free to new life. Thank you, Lord. Let your scripture speak life to us, and then, Lord, let us respond. Help our hearts to be open to you to being set free from our sin, to being brought into the new life that you desire to give us.
Thank you again that we're part of the family of God. Amen. I want you to, uh, if you're married, I want you to think of your spouse. And I want you to ask the Lord, what is one thing that you would have me change? Now, if you aren't married, you're kind of going, well, I'd like to be. Ask yourself, what is, ask the Lord, what's one thing you'd like me to change that would make me a good partner? Okay? It's amazing, but I believe the Holy Spirit in this moment is willing to speak life to you. Okay? And so, the next step probably is, I am assuming that you have something already. If you don't, you can come up for prayer later and we'll pray about your hard-headedness. Uh, but let's, let's take it and say, because often what comes up are things that we truly don't want to change, right? That uh, we've kind of prided ourselves in or said, well, they don't deserve this or I'm angry and I don't want to let go of that or, you know, there's, there's a multitude of excuses. But in this moment, we're saying, my heart is open to you. I believe that your Holy Spirit allows me to shed trespasses that just cling unknowingly or willful sin. But in this moment, I'm asking you to reveal one thing that you want me to, to change. And now I'm going to ask you, Lord, for the courage and the will to see that through. It's no good to just ask and get the idea and then say, well, yeah, but uh, how about two out of three? Even in that, you're going to lose, right? <laughs> what happens, though, is that it's not about trying to diminish your life or put you in a prison. It's trying to help you out of the prison. It's trying to break down the walls so that you can enter into a, a fullness of relationship that you were designed for. And so it's, you know, we, we tend to say, but, but I won't get mine. And well, it really doesn't matter what the other person thinks or what, even what they're doing. God wants to transform your heart, and we'll do that. So, Father, we take these things before you, and we say, speak to us in this moment. Plant in our hearts what you desire to see changed. And then place in us a willing attitude and, and spirit that will allow us to, 